0: This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the number one daily fantasy sports app. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schommler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 602. Welcome in. I did the intro a second ago and I realized I felt weird. I'm like, I haven't really talked. All day. I was like stumbling. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's again, I sat in my room all day. I watched football and I was like, huh, I guess I haven't really said very many words out loud literally all day. I've been in my whole watching football. It's Sunday night for me. This will come out Monday morning. Welcome in. I got a weird little PSA, by the way. For the entire time I've done the show, I've used these like the clicky pens they are really nice. They're a little more expensive, like the I don't know. They're just they're a type of pen. If you're a person who uses pens every day for work or something. I've always used the ones that like click in and click out little like that little sound. Um, I made a change. I started getting, because I've been having trouble. These run dry all the time, no matter what brand I buy. I started buying, like, the really crappy, cheap, just like you put the lid on pens. And, uh, they're way cheaper, and they work better. And if you're a person who uses pens every day like I do, constantly taking notes, um, kind of a pro tip, I recommend try this, like, weird, crappy, I don't know, just the basic pen. It works, actually, I've found better. It fails less frequently. And, um... I don't know, budgetary reasons, and also just, like, it literally does work better. I kept having trouble, though. These were, like, drying out, and I'm like, I got to try something, and uh, I'm shocked to find—I know you don't care about pens, but if you are a pen person, you're in college or whatever, give the old, humble, regular pen a try. They work really well. Um, there are now no more undefeated teams left in the NFL. Brock Purdy lost for the first time ever. During an NFL regular season game, the Cleveland Browns beat the 49ers 19 to 17. And it's been a really weird year for Cleveland. They lost Nick Chubb, their running back. He's out for the year. So is the right tackle, Jack Conklin. And uh, for this game, for the second game in a row, Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson did not play. He's got a shoulder injury. He's out. And... uh you know, for the Browns to be three and two right now, given the injuries they've had, let alone they just beat the San Francisco 49ers 19 to 17 with a backup quarterback—that really is an example to me of how good this Cleveland Browns football team is. I said they were an incredible football team going into the year, given the luck they've had, given the way they just played on uh, Sunday in Week Six. I feel great about that. I really do believe this is a Browns roster that's really, really, really talented. For their quarterback to be uh, have missed two games this year, their running back, their entire offense is built around, and the right tackle to be the right tackle and the running back out for the year, the Browns are three and two. It's incredible to me. And by the way, to beat to beat the 49ers with a backup quarterback P.J. Walker who had two interceptions in this football game, it just speaks a lot about how really good and how great this Browns defense is, man. P.J. Walker was 18 for 34 passing. Had 192 yards, two, tu- two interceptions, no touchdowns, by the way. Although, as I kind of make fun of P.J. Walker calling him a backup quarterback with two interceptions, I do feel like you have to acknowledge he had two really good drives at the end of the fourth quarter. Drives that made it possible for the Browns to win. And uh, in fact, the 49ers had the ball late, had a chance to put the game away, and not give the ball back. They couldn't do it. So I actually would argue P.J. Walker made more plays at the end than Brock Purdy, but the story to me here is that the Browns' defense is the number one defense in all of football. That's to, like, the numbers and stats back that up. They're incredible. And um, the 49ers had the ball seven times in the second half. Here's what happened when the 49ers had the ball. The 49ers had an interception. The 49ers had four three and outs, meaning you you know run three plays, you don't get a first down, you punt the ball away. They missed a field goal and they had a touchdown, and that touchdown in the second half for the 49ers only came because that backup quarterback, PJ Walker, for the Browns threw an interception that gave the Browns the ball first and goal at the 8-yard line. Sorry, they gave the 49ers the ball first and goal at the 8-yard line. So the only time the 49ers scored in the second half was when they were handed the ball first and goal on the 8-yard line. Other than that, it was a shutout, basically, for the Browns' defense in the second half. And I would imagine today... Today, I'm recording Sunday night for you guys. It's going to be Monday morning. I would imagine the narrative is going to be I kind of, I'm recording again after the games will happen. So I don't know what people are going to say Monday morning. My prediction will be there are 1000% going to be people who are going to be anti Brock Purdy. They're going to say, Look at what happened to Brock Purdy. Plays a good defense. Remember, in this game, Um, Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey, the star receiver and star running back for the 49ers were knocked out of the game. Didn't play in the second half. They were hurt. People are going to watch this Browns 49ers game, see what happened and go, Oh, Brock Purdy sucks. And that's a massive, massive, massive overreaction. That's nonsense to me, but people are going to say that people are going to say, oh, it's really hard to win when you don't have amazing teammates helping you win. That's what's going to happen. You realize that. People are going to say, funny how it's harder to win without Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel. To me, the reason why the 49ers lost has everything to do with how good the Browns' defense is. That's really the story here. And I want you to name the quarterback who can play the Browns' defense, lose their running back, and their stud receiver. And still win and have a great game. I, I don't think it's shocking here. Brock Purdy was 12 for 27, had 125 yards, one touchdown pass, and an interception. There was pressure on Brock Purdy all day long. I thought Brandon Ayuk had a couple balls that should have been caught, had a couple drops that were like, oh, it's a great ball. There was a ball that I remember deep. It's ingrained in my memory. They blitz, Brock Purdy hangs in the pocket, makes a great throw downfield, beats one-on-one coverage. Brandon Ayuk has it in his hands, and he drops it. You're like, oh man. And I really don't understand people's eagerness, like the excitement to tear down Brock Purdy. I don't understand. It's like people were waiting like, Ooh, one of these days he's going to slip up and we're going to get him. We're going to attack him like crazy. I don't get the eagerness to attack and tear down Brock Purdy. He played the best defense in the NFL He didn't have his best game. That's fair. Brock Purdy didn't play great. Yes, I acknowledge that 1,000%. But also the team as a whole made a ton of mistakes. I mean, there was a couple plays. There was a holding on Trent Williams that made it first and 20. Then they had a false start, made it first and 25 in the second half. There were moments where the 49ers team as a whole didn't play great. And for Brock Purdy to have one crappy game and lose, and now suddenly he's garbage, is a ridiculous idea. I think it's confirmation bias. People see what they've wanted to see the entire time. They see a quarterback who came out of nowhere, defied expectations, was the last pick of the draft, and people go, oh, see, he's bad. We saw it all along. No, 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 no. You don't get to do that. It's a ridiculous idea for a person to have one bad game and suddenly they suck. I hate this idea. You have to judge people on patterns and repeated behavior. So far in the career of Brock Purdy, this game, this loss, it's an outlier. This is not the norm for Brock Purdy. Kind of a bad game, they lose. He's usually been really consistent and accurate. There was an interception where Brock Purdy threw the ball behind Brandon Ayuk, who looked like the ball kind of slipped out of his hand. It was wet. I don't know. But I I just would encourage you, do not strongly overreact to Brock Purdy having kind of an average to underwhelming game 125 yards, one touchdown, one interception, terrible completion percentage. Like, I can acknowledge, not a good game. But it doesn't mean Brock Purdy is suddenly garbage. I I hate this idea. The way you judge people is over a long period of time, and you look at the way they consistently perform. Consistently, Brock Purdy has performed at a really high level and done a really good job, been very accurate, had great timing, made good decisions. I thought he did a lot of that stuff on Sunday, He wasn't as accurate as normal. I think the wetness of the ball really impacted him. It was wet. It was rainy. And it's not like Brock Purdy was absolutely terrible. I I really thought there were a couple throws where he was on target. His receivers didn't help him out. But the Browns played great coverage. They got a lot of pressure on Brock Purdy. Brandon Ayuk had a couple drops. And still, by the way, with nine seconds left in the game, the 49ers lined up for the game-winning field goal. Jake Moody missed the game-winning 41-yard field goal. If he makes that kick, the narrative on Monday morning would instead be, instead of people trashing Brock Purdy, they'd go, wow, he had a game-winning field goal drive. He put it together. He had a kind of a rough start, but he made it work in the end. That really would be the narrative today. It's funny how one little outcome can change the entire perception of how a player is viewed. It's crazy to me. And so... Brock Purdy, not his best game. He has his first loss in the NFL. It was bound to happen. What I don't understand, once again, I don't understand the people who appeared to have been waiting like, oh, one day, little Brock Purdy's going to slip up and you know what we're going to do? We're going to jump on him and attack him and call him terrible. I'm like, guys, have you not watched him the entire time he's been in the NFL? Everyone is allowed to have a bad game. You can't just attack a guy the first time you see what you thought was going to happen When he came into the NFL. Remember the first time Brock Purdy walked onto the field? Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt. Trey Lance gets hurt. In comes, I I guess, Brock Purdy. Who's this kid out of Iowa State? People thought he was going to suck. And he didn't. He played really well. They've been waiting, I guess, the entire time he's been in the league for this moment where he has a bad game. So I just, I, I don't understand it. To me, Brock Purdy is an incredible story, the American dream, a guy who is an underdog, who's over-exceeded all the expectations placed on him and done a great job. And uh, one more time, this game is the outlier, not the consistent way that he's played throughout his entire career in the NFL. 49ers are 5-1. Great win for Cleveland. You love to see it. Uh, I think the 49ers have got an interesting next couple of games. They play at Minnesota next week. The Vikings are a team that has a terrible record. But the Vikings can beat you. They are very, how do we even put this? They score a lot of points. They're, they're very capable. They've just been uh, unlucky and messy at times. I think it's a great opportunity for the 49ers to get back on track and win. But also the Vikings, they got some talent. They do some stuff well. And uh, they've every t- game they've been in this year, like they played Kansas City really well. It was close. It was competitive. Then the 49ers play Cincinnati in San Francisco. It's still a tough game. They got a bye week nine. Then they play at Jacksonville. Then they play at Tampa. Tampa's three and two first in their division. Then they play at Seattle. Then Philly week 13. Then Seattle again. They play Seattle two times in a three week span. I think the road for the 49ers up ahead is actually kind of tough. Cincinnati playoff team last year. Jacksonville playoff team last year. Minnesota playoff team last year. Tampa first in their division. Seattle's in their division. Philly playoff team went to the Super Bowl last year. Like, there's a lot of good teams coming up ahead for the 49ers. If at the end of the second game against Seattle, Brock Purdy's playing bad and they're, they're losing, then fine. You can have the narrative. You can say Brock Purdy sucks. I understand that. But don't cherry pick one loss and say, suddenly he's garbage. No, 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 no. That's not how you judge people in the NFL. It doesn't make any sense to me. You can't cherry pick one game that supports the way you feel about a player and suddenly run with that as a narrative for the rest of time immemorial. So anyway, um, do not overreact to Brock Purdy losing his first game in the NFL. All right, I got to take a short break. I got to pay the bills. I got to buy food and I got to pay my share of the rent. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. PrizePix is the number one daily fantasy sports app. PrizePix allows you to make an entry based on player projections and in 60 seconds. You could enter something like George Kittle, less than five catches, A.J. Brown, more than 100 yards receiving, and Jordan Love, more than two interceptions. And if your picks are right, you can win money. Making picks makes watching games more engaging, and you could turn something like $5 into $50. Price picks offers quick and easy deposits. You can even use Apple Pay, and they have weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. For example, there's a weekly event called Taco Tuesday, where each Tuesday, PrizePix discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. So put your skills to the test in Daily Fantasy. Go to prizepicks.com slash CLNS and use code CLNS for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash CLNS. Code CLNS for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePix Daily Fantasy made Easy. All right, we are back. Um, the 49ers were not the only team that lost their undefeated record this weekend. Philly also lost. The only two teams coming into this weekend in the NFL that were still undefeated was 5-0 Philly and the 5-0 49ers. Both of them are now five and one. The Jets beat Philly 20 to 14. And uh for me, as a guy who going into the year for the Jets thought they were gonna have kind of a rocky Really tough start. Remember, the first six games for the Jets were brutal. They played Buffalo at Dallas, New England, Kansas City, Denver, then Philly. I thought Denver was going to be really good. That turned out to be totally wrong. But New England, they always struggle with. Dallas is really good. Buffalo is a playoff team. Kansas City is a playoff team. And Philly is a playoff team. At least four of the six teams the Jets started with are playoff teams. Well, definitely four and definitely not Denver and not New England. But still, I thought, man— even with Aaron Rodgers going into the year, I thought the Jets were going to be lucky to start the year three and three. Well, now the Jets are three and three. They just knocked off Philly, and they did it without their star quarterback Aaron Rodgers. He tore his Achilles four snaps into the year. You could call it five if you count the Achilles. Terrible joke. Uh, but now they got Zach Wilson at quarterback, and they're still three and three. To me, that's really, really impressive. I think it's a great job coaching by the Jets. You know, Robert Sala, I love him. I love their defensive coordinator. I love their, you know, Nathaniel Hackett's gaining my respect every week. And in this game, week 6 against Philly, the Jets' top two corners were out and not playing because of injury. So, no Sauce Gardner, no DJ Reed. You're missing your two starting corners. And guess what it happens? Not only did the Jets beat Philly, they picked off the Jet they picked off Philly's quarterback Jalen Hurts three times. With backup corners playing, your two starting corners are out. You still pick off Jalen Hurts. You intercept him three times. That's really impressive to me. And remember, week one, the Jets picked off Josh Allen four times. So this is a really, really good Jets defense. They're winning with defense. And uh, credit to Zach Wilson, though. Zach Wilson, zero turnovers against Philly. That's enough to win. And uh, wow, the Jets are 3-3. and Philly's 5-1. and I thought this was a really impressive, really interesting win that I did not expect, and uh, I really did not see coming. That key, though, I really think it matters that Zach Wilson was clean with the football. No interceptions, no fumbles, taking care of the ball, allowing your defense to be the star, carry you to victory. Uh, that's huge, man. Now, the Raiders beat the Patriots 21-17. to The New England Patriots are... <sighs> They're a mess, man. They're 1-5. The Patriots, one more time. The New England Patriots are one And five. Ugh. Horrible. Here's what's even worse, by the way. The Raiders starting quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo didn't even play in the second half. The Patriots lost to a team that was, for the entire second half, quarterbacked by Brian Hoyer. Oh, no. (laughs) It's horrifying. Also, I want to add kind of a little, little sidebar here. I still have no idea what Jimmy Garoppolo is bringing to the table for the Raiders organization. I don't know why they brought him in. He's a mediocre quarterback that him being there, playing average, just keeps the Raiders at an average level. If they want to get a great quarterback, they need to be terrible so they can draft one. Being average hurts your draft stock, and I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback you want long-term. Remember, Jimmy Garoppolo did not play week four because he was hurt. Now he leaves, doesn't play the second half of this game. Jimmy Garoppolo has only one time in his career played a full season, and by the way, he's been in the NFL for 10 years, and Jimmy Garoppolo's only finished one season. That's incredible. He's always injured. He's never going to be able to play a full season. He's mediocre. He's often hurt. I still don't understand. There's not a justifiable reason right now, six games into the year, why the Raiders brought in Jimmy Garoppolo to replace Derek Carr. If you were going to bring in a quarterback worse than Derek Carr, who's still not cheap, not as expensive as Derek Carr was going to be. But you're not paying Jimmy Garoppolo nothing. I don't know what he brings to the table. I don't know how you benefit from having Jimmy Garoppolo around. I'm not sold. I don't understand it. He's mediocre. He's often hurt. And uh, I honestly think the Raiders, I I guess they did it to save their jobs. They realized, hey, we can't be terrible, GM, coach. If we're terrible, we're going to get fired. But long-term what the Raiders organization needs, I believe, is a franchise quarterback. And right now, unless Aiden O'Connell who was on the bench today, even after Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt, unless he's their franchise quarterback in the future, they don't have one right now in the Raiders organization. Still, though, um, I got to repeat this one more time. The Patriots lost to a team that had Brian Hoyer at quarterback for the entire second half. And by the way, the Patriots are known for their great defense. And Patriots fans, I know you're familiar with Brian Hoyer. He was your backup behind Tom Brady for a long time. On the year, Patriots quarterback Mac Jones has five touchdowns, seven interceptions, and a fumble. What are we doing? What are we doing? Why is Mac Jones? I I, I don't want I, I really hesitate to make fun of or hate on Mac Jones. That's not my personality. I don't like roasting people or attacking them. It happens naturally sometimes, but I don't like doing it. But I I think it's time for Malik Cunningham. I, I was saying this a week ago. By the way, you know what's crazy? I said after last week, after a 1-4 and four start and Mac Jones playing terrible, I said, you know what the Patriots should do? I said they should probably put Malik Cunningham at quarterback. Guess what happened? Malik Cunningham got elevated off the practice squad, given a three-year extension. And, and now I'm just sitting here like, when's it going to happen? I'm waiting. I'd like to see it. Uh, they gave him an extension. They got him off the practice squad. He's there. He's available. When are we going to put Malik Cunningham in at quarterback? It'll be fun. If you're you're losing anyway, the Patriots are horrible. They're one in five. I would watch. I'm not going to watch Mac Jones straight up. I don't, I don't want to watch that. That's awful. I watch him get sacked for a safety at the end of the game. It's like he's not mobile. He's got an average arm. He's making bad decisions. I don't know. What is the draw with Mac Jones? At least Malik Cunningham. He's unknown, he's athletic, there's an excitement factor there. If we're going to lose games anyway, you might as well have an exciting, interesting quarterback at minimum, but I think Malik Cunningham, there's something there. They were talking about him, there's a reason they gave him a long-term extension. Bill Belichick, I am begging you, please, please, for the love of God, put Malik Cunningham in at quarterback. That's what I want to watch. Your year is over, and and guess what? It's win-win. If Malik Cunningham is amazing and shows promise and does well, you found a great quarterback. If he's terrible, then guess what? You draft another one next year. It's fine. Now, here's the only thing that I think could be happening. Maybe, so they gave him something that I didn't expect. They gave Malik Cunningham a three-year contract extension. They clearly like what he's doing, and they were praising him a lot, saying, you know, Malik Cunningham's doing really good stuff. Maybe they do think he's their long-term plan, but they don't want to ruin him. They're like, let's just wait till this kid is ready. And maybe week 13, 14, 15, later in the year, once Malik Cunningham has more reps and more time in the system, then maybe they do make him their starting quarterback. Maybe they're just waiting because they don't want to put him out too early. That's, this is a hilarious thing to have a conversation about because it, it really shouldn't be a conversation. The Patriots should not be 1-5 and in and this bad But I I can only hope, I mean, it's wishful thinking, but I can only hope and pray that maybe Malik Cunningham is the savior of the Patriots. That's how bad things are, by the way. An undrafted free agent quarterback is who I'm hoping could become the savior of the Patriots' horrifying season. (laughs) It's so bad. Uh, Bill Belichick, by the way, is now 16 and 17 against former Patriots assistant coaches. So coaches have left him to be head coaches elsewhere, and they beat him more often than not. And, uh, Bill Belichick right now is 0-3 all-time against Josh McDaniels. A very weird, very surprising stat. It's like, huh. And now, by the way, mind you, one of those was last year where Jacoby Myers tries to throw a lateral backwards, gets caught by the Raiders, ran for a touchdown. So one of them was kind of a fluke, but, um, regardless, the Patriots are 1-5. They just lost to Brian Hoyer and, uh. I find it shameful. I find it, like, really embarrassing and horrifying. Your quarterback isn't playing well. You're losing to bad football teams. I, uh... More and more, I have deep, deep deep-seated respect for Bill Belichick, who is an incredible head coach and done incredible things in the past. But they were in the past. And what's happening right now, what we're seeing on the field right now in New England, is god-awful. And uh, I... I don't think I'm ready to move on. I'm not going to lie. I I move like a turtle. I hate breaking up with people. I hate um, when you are, I hate rejecting people. I hate walking away from stuff. It's really hard for me. Like I'm emotionally attached to Bill Belichick. I enjoyed watching him my entire time growing up, but you got to acknowledge they got to part ways. I think, I think they got to walk away and restart whatever's going on in New England. Maybe they won't. Robert Kraft is old. Near death, I, I would assume, given his age and the way he looks, just walking around. Maybe he's like, I'm just going to ride this out. Belichick's my guy till I'm done. But, uh, oh boy, things are not good in New England. Here's a thing that shocked me beyond belief. I could not believe this. I saw that, you know, so Daniel Jones, the Giants starting quarterback, was out. The Giants were playing Sunday Night Football in Buffalo. And the two games I was most excited for 49ers Cleveland. We find out Deshaun Watson isn't going to play. I'm like, oh, I'm deflated. Hey, guess what? The Browns still found a way to pull it out and beat the 49ers. I would have been happy even if that game was close, but the fact that the Browns actually beat the 49ers was like, whoa, I watched that entire game. I was enthralled. It was amazing. Sunday night football. Daniel Jones, the starting quarterback for the Giants, is out. He's injured. The Giants are awful, even with Daniel Jones. I'm like, well, There is no way that the Giants are going to have any kind of competitive game against the Buffalo Bills. And boy, was I wrong. In fact, I think you can make a very strong argument that the New York Giants should have beat the Buffalo Bills during NFL Week 6 on Sunday Night Football. Uh, Buffalo beat the Giants 14-9. to The Bills got two touchdowns late in the game in the fourth quarter. They kind of made a little comeback, which, again, how in the world did we come to a point where the Giants had a lead, and the Bills had to come back against the Giants. I did not expect it to be that close. It came down literally to the final play. First and goal on the one-yard line, an untimed down. Tyrod Taylor throws a ball back of the end zone to Darren Waller, the new tight end in New York. And uh, I want to acknowledge something. If you watch the replay, the defender grabbed Darren Waller like a little bit. There's a little bit of Jersey tug in there. But also... That's a ball that when you pay Darren Waller a ton of money, you gotta catch. Like, I'm getting really tired of the excuse-making and the, oh, well, no, 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 no. You paid Darren Waller a ton of money to go make that play. Back of the end zone, game on the line, contested catch. What are we paying you for if you're not making that catch? What's going on? What's happening? It's looking to me like the Darren Waller contract is another bad contract for the New York Giants. They overpaid a tight end who's not bringing in a lot of production. A couple of catches, no touchdowns this year, not even 300 yards receiving. Uh, hey, you realize 50 yards a game gets you 300 yards in six games. Like it's shameful what's going down with Darren Waller. I'm not trying to hate on Darren Waller. He's a cool story. If you look up his, in his personal life, cool guy, I like him. But Darren Waller is not making big plays, and that was an opportunity for Darren Waller to win the game for his team. A guy getting paid a ton of money, the highest annual average value for any NFL tight end, and he did not make a play there. And a team that desperately needs help at receiver needs Darren Waller to step up and make plays. He's currently not doing that. And uh, I look at the Giants' contract situation. They got a big Darren Waller contract. He got a really big Daniel Jones contract. Both are discouraging to me. I look around the NFL right now. The Daniel Jones contract hurts my soul. The Russell Wilson contract makes me want to puke. And the Dak Prescott contract makes me want to laugh because I knew that was bad the minute it was signed. And it's still like, (laughs) it's one of the, the, those are the three worst quarterback contracts in the NFL right now. But not only do the Giants have a bad quarterback contract, so it would seem, so it would seem, I'm being cautious there. No, it's bad. I don't care. Jano Jones is not playing well at all. Darren Waller's also overpaid and not delivering at tight end. They need him to make plays. He had a chance to in this game. I know his jersey got grabbed. I don't care. I'm not one of those guys who's like, well, it's tough. Yeah, yeah, it is tough. You pay the guy to make that big play in a big moment. He didn't. Now, another reason why the Giants should have won this game, not only did Darren Waller not make the play at the end of the game, At the end of the first half, so both halves, the first half and the second half ended with the Giants first and goal on the one-yard line, and both times they got zero points. (laughs) Like, what? That's horrifying. You realize the Giants should have won this game. They should have beat the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. The Giants had the ball at the end of the first half, first and goal on the one-yard line with no timeouts left. 14 seconds left before half. Hey... Throw the ball to the end zone. If you don't get it, you kick a field goal. The only thing you can't do is get tackled inbounds because you don't have time to line up again and spike the ball to stop the clock. Guess what happens? <laughs> Tyrod Taylor, the backup quarterback for the Giants. Now, a little bit of backstory on Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor was once the Buffalo Bills starting quarterback. He got replaced by Josh Allen. In fact, the quarterback who took the bills to the playoffs before Josh Allen was Tyrod Taylor. He lost his job. You would think Tyrod Taylor playing his old team in their old city. He's like, I want to show them that, you know, I can do something too. I got replaced by Josh Allen. I'm never going to live that down. He's always going to be better than me, but at least I could beat my old team. What does that guy Tyrod Taylor do first and goal? 14 seconds left. No timeouts. he he audibles to a running play. They run up the middle. They get stopped for no gain. I think they actually lost a yard and they didn't have time to line up and snap and spike the ball and kick a field goal. So Tyrod Taylor, maybe he still plays for the Bills secretly and we don't know. He ran up the clock on his own team. They didn't get a field goal off. So they were first and goal on the one yard line with 14 seconds left before halftime. Got zero points. Then in the second half, because they got zero points on their first opportunity, the game ended first and goal, one yard line, one untimed down. But they were down five. They couldn't kick a field goal. They needed a touchdown to win. And uh, it's like, man, you know, you had to to have the ball on the one yard line two times and not score either time. And you lose by five. You could have just kicked two chip shot field goals and won. I know Giants fans right now. I love Giants fans, by the way. They are the most passionate, fun, wild, angry people. I want to hear from a Giants fan today. Tell me about your anger. Tell me about your frustration. I can only imagine that that kind of loss ruins your night. Sunday night football, first and goal, two times and you get no points. That ruins your entire week, I would think, if you're a Giants fan. And uh, Oh boy, I want to hear from you guys. Um, I want to give a shout out to Detroit. The Detroit Lions won in Tampa. They beat the Buccaneers 20-6. to six. And Detroit is now five and one. Five and one. The Lions, by the way, are good. They're like a legitimately good football team now. <laughs> I'm like checking by the way, like, uh, is anything wrong? Am I in a, am I in a parallel universe? Is uh, the simulation going to turn on? Gas is really expensive. Food is expensive. Maybe, maybe everything's fake because I look around the world and a lot of things seem insane. And the, one of them is that the Detroit Lions are a really good football team. It's crazy to me. Next week the Lions play Baltimore, at Baltimore, by the way. So that's a big game for them. Uh, there are five NFL teams right now that are five and one. The Lions are five and one. Miami's five and one. They just dominated and destroyed Carolina. Kansas City's five and one. Philly's five and one. And the 49ers are five and one. So once again, Miami, Philly, Kansas City, the 49ers, and Detroit. Who would have thought? It's so cool to me. I really, I mean, that's, I did think that. I, I really had a lot of faith in the, the Detroit Lions going into the year. I can't mem- remember exactly what I predicted the map, but it was really favorable. I believe in them. They're a playoff team. But it's one thing to believe they're going to be good. It's another thing for that to actually happen. They're 5-1. One. They're one of the teams tied for the best record in the NFL right now. And uh, I am not used to seeing that. I'm a little bit like, wow. Dude, it's really happening. The Detroit Lions are actually a good football team, playing really good football. Their quarterback is playing well. It's a beautiful sight to see. I love to see it. It's awesome and uh that you know, that stadium in Tampa. The Lions fans are traveling really really well. I don't know if you've been watching any of the away games for Detroit, but their fan base is buying tickets, they're traveling, they're wearing their blue, and they are getting really loud at opposing stadiums. And I love it, man. It's really awesome to see. And I would think if you're from Detroit, you're a Lions fan. Nothing wrong with a little trip to Tampa, right? Tampa in October. I'd rather be in Tampa in October than, I mean, honestly, than Detroit anytime, really. But, um, you know, that's not true. I, I, hate, I make fun of Detroit, but I think Detroit, for all its bad press and horrifying stories which there are them. Um, you know, Lake Michigan, there's some interesting stuff. I, I could get down to the trip to Detroit. I'd really like that if I could do that in my lifetime. There's a little part of my brain that's always like, just just quit podcasting and live in your truck and drive around the country. I, I, love, I love that idea. And one of the cities I would love to go to is Detroit. I really love that thought. And uh, if I can ever make a trip out to Detroit, that'd be really fun for me. All right, I've got kind of a funny observation. Um, the Baltimore Ravens beat Tennessee in London. 24 to 16. Game was in London. That's a crucial part of what makes this funny and interesting to me. Being a a team, uh, being a game in London, you realize that English people love, right? They love soccer. They love kicking the ball. And we saw a lot of kicking in this game. Nine field goals between the Ravens and Titans in this football game. The Ravens scored 24 points, but they did it in the weirdest way I have ever seen in my entire life. One touchdown, six points. Six field goals for 18 points. So not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six field goals for the Ravens in this football game. And then they got the extra point blocked after the touchdown. That's 24 points on the day. That is wild. And for an English crowd who is used to watching the ball get kicked, uh, I'm I'm sure, honestly, I'm sure they wanted touchdowns. I, I totally believe that. There were only two touchdowns in this football game. But for the Ravens kicker, Justin Tucker, to have six field goals in front of a crowd in London, I find that amusing. Like, oh, yeah, they're used to watching the ball get kicked, and they certainly saw a lot of that on Sunday in London. I've got bad news for Chicago Bears quarterback. Really, it's bad news about Chicago Bears quarterback, Justin Fields, but if you're a Bears fan, I am sorry, and I love you, and it's really sad. Minnesota beat Chicago 19-13. Chicago's now 1-5. and That's already bad news right there. Uh, I think it gets worse. Their quarterback, Justin Fields, left the game with an injury in the third quarter. He left the game 6-10 for passing at 58 yards, one interception. He ran eight times for 46 yards. He wasn't playing well. Tyson Bajant actually came in and did score a touchdown, their backup quarterback. But what happened was Justin Fields dislocated his thumb on his right throwing hand. And... That's a very interesting injury. Um, I've had a lot of friends who've done that that play quarterback, and everybody reacts differently to that because a lot of people use their thumb to grip the football. I mean, I'm sorry, every quarterback, when you obviously, you use your thumb to grip the football on your throwing hand, right? Some people, depending on the way they grip the football, can get away with an injury to the thumb a little better than others, and it remains to be seen how this injury, the dislocated thumb on the throwing hand, is going to impact Justin Fields. Um, I've known guys that break their thumb and they keep playing. I've known guys who they nick their thumb wrong and it's not even a, not dislocated, not injured, nothing. And they really struggle to throw the football. So it really depends on how you grip the football and a lot of factors. But, um, I I think that regardless, this is going to impact Justin Fields throwing the football, at least for a little while. And, uh, I don't know how it's going to impact the rest of his year. I find it sad and frustrating because I really have enjoyed watching Justin Fields grow as a quarterback and, uh. Now he's getting a little bit of a setback here. You're like, ah, and not only is it a setback, it might impact the way we evaluate him. That's the hardest part It's like next week he misses a throw wide. And you're like, was that a bad throw? I mean, it was a bad throw, but did that happen because he's inaccurate or did that happen because he's playing with an injured thumb? I mean, it really does kind of throw a bit of a wrench into the evaluation process for Justin Fields the rest of the year, at least for a little while. Although again, Maybe he handles it great. It's a very nebulous injury where thumb on the throwing hand affects every quarterback differently, and uh, it's one of those you got to wait and see and see how things play out. Now, uh, in the NFL this weekend, we had a really, really interesting quarterback battle. Sam Howell against Desmond Ritter. Washington against Atlanta. Both quarterbacks are in their second year. Desmond Ritter was a third-round pick. Sam Howell was a fifth-round pick. And this year, in their second year, both of them have been elevated to starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, Washington beat Atlanta 24-16. to See, 24 points is, by the way, a normal score in football. The Ravens just did it in the weirdest way possible. <laughs> right, A touchdown, six field goals, blocked extra point. If I said missed, I meant blocked earlier when I was talking about Justin Tucker. Either way... Washington beat Atlanta 24-16, to and Washington quarterback Sam Howell had three touchdown passes and zero interceptions. Atlanta quarterback Desmond Ritter had not one, not two, three interceptions on the day. Did have two touchdown passes. He wasn't totally garbage. It wasn't a flip-flop of Sam Howell, but still, uh, all three of Desmond Ritter's interceptions were in the second half. The worst one was on a third and goal where it was pretty bad. He's kind of getting pressure. I don't it looked like he panicked and threw the ball up for grabs. Defenders right there. It's a really baffling and terrible interception. Like, hey, third and goal. Do not, do not put the ball in harm's way. Throw the ball out of bounds. Live to see another down, kick a field goal. It's a frustrating interception. Had to be. I mean, the reaction from Arthur Smith, the head coach after that inter- interception was like, oh, like he looked horrified, and rightfully so. Um so far through six games this year, both Washington and Atlanta are 3-3. Three and three. But the story of how they got to 3-3 three and three and the results of that 3-3 three and three record are very different. Right now, it looks like Washington has found their quarterback, Sam Howell. Sam Howell looks really good. Uh, he had a bad game against Buffalo through four interceptions earlier this year. But overall, every week has been steadily getting better and making small improvements. And he's got a huge arm and... Can do a lot of fun stuff downfield. For Atlanta, six games in. I want to be very careful here, by the way. It's a long season. We've got 11 games left this year. That's a lot of time to evaluate. That's a lot of time for a struggling quarterback to make changes and get better. But six games into the year, it looks like Atlanta might need a new starting quarterback after this year. They're a capable football team that at times has been held back. By their quarterback, and this game was one of those games. And if it happens once, I can forgive that. But it's happened a couple times where you're like, oh, Desmond Ritter is not doing enough. He's not playing well enough. And they're asking more of him. And the more Atlanta asks of Desmond Ritter, the worse he tends to play. It's still early. He isn't total garbage. I mean, there's a lot of velocity when Desmond Ritter throws a football. He's actually doing some good stuff too. Like couple throws, I was like, wow, that's a great throw. I like that. Not everything Desmond Ritter does is bad, which makes it more difficult to say this, but he does have limitations. And uh, I'm in no hurry. I'm going to wait and see how the year goes. I, I I don't think that six games into the year you need to declare Desmond Ritter's career over. Like, he's garbage. Replace him. I, I, we'll see how the year goes. But if the year ended today, I don't think Desmond Ritter would be the quarterback next year in Atlanta. And Given how many young, talented quarterbacks there are that are available and will be in next year's draft, let alone Kirk Cousins, Kyler Murray, even if Ritter's okay, like if he can salvage this year and play better in the final 11 games after the kind of ugly start in the first six, even if he can salvage that, I'd say, well, where's his ceiling? Because there are a lot of, again, Bo Nicks, Michael Panix Jr., Caleb Williams, Cameron Ward, Kirk Cousins, Kyler Murray. There's so many quarterbacks that are going to be available this offseason, and there's not a lot of teams that need a quarterback. So I don't think you need to have a mediocre-to-average quarterback when you could have better. And right now, it looks like Atlanta could have better at quarterback than Desmond Ritter. All right, guys, I got to take a short break. Got to buy food. Got to pay my rent. I will be right back. The show is brought to you also by Factor Meals. Go to factormeals.com slash SOS50 and use code SOS50 to get 50% off. That's code SOS50 at factormeals.com slash SOS50 to get 50% off. Dude, it's such a good deal. I think food is, uh, I, would, I would, you know, very carefully say it's a necessity and food at a low cost. 50% off. It's a big deal. On top of that, what Factor meals allow you to have is food that's really good, high quality, and quick. You know what I do in the morning? I wake up at 5 in the morning. I shower. I try to get my bathroom routine all done before my roommate gets up to go to her job. So I get up at 5. I shower. And then I make breakfast. And breakfast takes like 45 minutes. It takes a long time for your boy, Zach. I make eggs, some kind of meat, spam. I'll admit hot dogs sometimes, rice. A lot of hot sauce. I love it. I, I love it. Spam, rice, hot dogs, whatever you want to, whatever the meat is, and then eggs. That's that's your boy Zach's meal every morning. And uh, it takes a long time. You know what I would love? Really affordable food that's easy to heat up, and doesn't take me forty-five minutes to prepare, and it's good. Natural ingredients. Good stuff for you. They can match whatever you're looking for to get out of it, whether you want just good food, maybe you want some kind of diet. They can match whatever you're looking for and give you food that meets your needs. But if you want to find cheap food that is affordable and can be prepared quickly, which I know a lot of – look, we're running around. It's fall. It's busy. You're doing whatever you got to do. You're trying to make your family happy, going to Thanksgiving and stuff. You're trying to get ready for Christmas. Uh, Factomeals.com SOS50 factorymeals.com slash SOS50 and use code SOS50 to get 50% off. That's code SOS50 at factorymeals.com slash SOS50 to get 50% off, which to me, look, I know some of y'all out there. You use DoorDash. You're ordering food from delivery services. This is so much cheaper. It's faster. It's right there ready for you. And it's high quality food. All you got to do is eat it up. And some of the stuff they got, what do they have? They have bacon and egg breakfast skillet. Bacon and cheddar egg bites, potato, bacon, and egg breakfast skillet. I got that wrong. Apple cinnamon pancakes, great breakfast stuff. They're really pushing breakfast this year. Uh, Broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, asparagus, high-quality ingredients at factormeals.com slash SOS50 for 50% off a Factor meal kit. Highly recommended. Their food is great and easy to prepare and quick. All right, we are back. Let's talk about college football. This weekend in college football, easily by far the very best game was number eight, Oregon, at number seven, Washington. Game in Seattle, had friends and family there. Amazing game. This game delivered everything I hoped it would. Like, as I look around the NFL and I look around college football this weekend, the game that 1000% definitely delivered exactly what I wanted was Oregon at Washington. Washington beat Oregon 36-33. to Came down to the final play. Oregon missed a 42-yard field goal at the end to tie it, which would have sent the game to overtime. You had two great college quarterbacks, Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. This great Oregon defense, this really incredible Washington offense. I thought the Washington offense won that matchup. Washington was doing really cool stuff with play design and alignment to put Washington, to put Oregon's defense in conflict and getting guys open. Michael Penix Jr., the Washington quarterback was incredible, had four touchdown passes. And I got to say on a personal note, I was really, really happy for Washington quarterback Michael Penix Jr. because he transferred out of Indiana going into last year. This is the second year at Washington. And on the same day that Michael Penix Jr. beat Oregon, the number eight team in the country, his former program, Indiana, lost to Michigan 52-7. to Think about where Michael Penix Jr.'s decision-making as a quarterback and as an athlete and where he went to school, how that has impacted his life. Right now, people view him as a first-round pick in the NFL draft. If he'd stayed at Indiana, he would not be. This is why when you get really angry at quarterbacks for transferring or leaving or being unloyal or, oh, guys are so like wishy-washy now. No, no, no. If you want to be an NFL quarterback, you got to play with good players around you. You got to be in a good system. You got to win games so you can show the world what you can do. Michael Penix Jr. would not be a first round pick if he'd stayed at Indiana. By the way, he had injury problems. I, if I'm an NFL team right now evaluating Michael Penix Jr., I'm really hesitant because of his injury history. Torn, uh, ace, uh, He had shoulder problems. He's had a torn ACL twice. Like That's terrifying to me if I'm an NFL team evaluating Michael Penix Jr., but I digress. Still happy for the guy. Had a huge win on the same day as former program. Had an awful loss. Really showing the the difference in where they are as programs between between Indiana and Washington. Now, one thing really, really stands out after this football game. Oregon went for it two times on fourth down inside the 10-yard line. And they lost by three. It actually reminds me a little bit of this Sunday night game for the Giants where they had the ball on the goal line twice and got zero points out of it. All Oregon had to do was kick a field goal twice. And instead they went for it. Before halftime, they were down 18-22. to 22. This was the worst one, the most frustrating one for me. Fourth and goal, three-yard line. You're going to have one play left to end the first half. A field goal would have made it 21 to 22, and I was yelling, screaming at my TV, kick the field goal. It's a one-point game. It's basically tied. Take the field goal. What are you doing? They go for it. They don't get it. So it stays 22 to 18 at halftime. Then in the third quarter, it's fourth and three on the eight-yard line for Oregon. Oregon was now down 11 points. They're feeling more desperate. They go for it again on fourth down on the eight-yard line. They don't get it. So two times, Oregon had the ball inside the 10-yard line and got no points out of it because they wouldn't settle for a field goal. I appreciate the aggressiveness. I understand wanting to win, wanting to go for it, all that stuff. But in a game where you lose by three, eh, I still go, that's a problem. That can't happen. Now, Oregon was 0-3 for on fourth down conversions. They went for it on fourth down three times, didn't get it any of those times. And the only time I saw Oregon go for it and really strongly agreed was the final time. A lot of people actually, I've seen people criticize Dan Lanning, the Oregon head coach for going for it here. I'm like, actually this was the only fourth down attempt that I thought made sense. They had the ball with a 33 to 29 lead. So they're up four with two minutes and 11 seconds off ball on the 47 yard line, so ball at midfield and Oregon's offense went for it. And I thought that was a great move because You have the ball, it's fourth down, got a four-point lead. If you get that first down, the game is over. You control your own destiny. What you don't want to do is give the ball back to a really incredible offense with Michael Penix Jr. in Washington. Well, they went for it on fourth down. They didn't get it. And Washington, in fact, in two plays drove down the field and scored a touchdown, which actually, I think, further proves my point that they were right to go for it because it shows that... Washington was gonna score a touchdown. I think if you punt the ball away, Washington just would drive even farther, run more time off the clock, and win more easily. So I thought that proved my point. I thought Oregon did absolutely the right thing going for it on fourth down at the end. All game long, their defense was not able to stop Michael Penix Jr. And kind of a rule of thumb. It's not a perfect rule of thumb. But regularly, this does happen. When you see a great offense play a great defense, usually the great offense wins in football because the rules are set up to help an offense do well. But to me, it felt like Washington scoring was inevitable. And the only way to stop them was to go for it on fourth down, get that first down, and literally just not give the ball back to them. So uh, I think Dan Lanning should get flack for the first two fourth down attempts where, hey, buddy, kick the field goal. But the last one made sense to me. I was like, yeah, that that's a fair one where you go for it. You're up four. If you get that first down, you can run out the clock. The game is over. So I thought that um, the one he's probably getting flack for is the one that is kind of silly. Like he he knows he's a defensive head coach. He was a defensive coordinator at Georgia. He knows my defense all day has not been able to stop Michael Penix Jr. in Washington. We do not want to give the ball back to them, and uh, they tried not to. They failed, but. I don't know, man. This game was really, really fun. Washington-Oregon. Um, Washington's won two years in a row, by the way. I, I don't think any farther than that. I don't. I only know the last two years of this history of the rivalry. But as Washington and Oregon go to the Big Ten together, they bring along with them a fun, like, growing rivalry. And I, I am all here for it. It's really fun. It's really been entertaining. And uh, my goodness, Oregon-Washington was an incredible football game. Now, um, how about... Number 10 ranked USC on the road at number 21, Notre Dame. Game at Notre Dame. Notre Dame beat USC 48 to 20. And uh, Notre Dame's defense was awesome. A lot of credit to them. They got a lot of pressure on Caleb Williams, the USC quarterback. Played a lot of great coverage. And uh, USC quarterback Caleb Williams threw not one, not two. Three interceptions in the first half. All three of them led to Notre Dame touchdowns, uh, and Notre Dame led 24-3 to at halftime. So do the math. Caleb Williams basically created a situation where Notre Dame could score three touchdowns. Two of them, like one interception gave Notre Dame the ball on the 12-yard line. Another one handed Notre Dame the ball first and goal at the two-yard line. And uh, one of the interceptions was like at midfield, and Notre Dame actually had to put together a real drive and go score a touchdown. But uh, when you hand your opponent the ball in the red zone twice off of an interception, it's really hard to win football games. And there's a reason why Notre Dame was up 24-3 to at halftime. And most of it is because Caleb Williams had a bad game. And that's worth acknowledging. Caleb Williams, USC quarterback, he's the number one prospect heading to the NFL in college football. We, we think he could stay in college if he wants, but he is the best quarterback available that is NFL eligible after this year. Caleb Williams was 23 for 37 passing had 199 yards, one touchdown, a three interceptions. Here's a crazy number. Now, here's why this happened. In college football, when you get sacked, they count that as negative yards rushing. And he was sacked six times in this football game. But Caleb Williams had 13 carries for negative eight yards rushing in this game. That's insane for a quarterback who runs really well and is very, very mobile. There was a lot of pressure on him. I thought Notre Dame's game plan was fantastic. But here's what I want really the focus to be on. Do not overreact to Caleb Williams having three interceptions and having a bad game. I I think people are going to go, oh, we've been hearing he's a generational talent. We've been hearing he's the best quarterback in college football in a long time. He is. That's all still true. You know that Patrick Mahomes, who I think is the greatest quarterback ever to walk the face of the earth, has had three different games in the NFL with three interceptions. Not one game, not two games, three times Patrick Mahomes has thrown three interceptions in a game during his NFL career. 2018 Week 11 against the Rams. Remember that game? Samson Ibukom had an interception for a touchdown and a fumble return for a touchdown. Patrick Mahomes, in a loss, had three interceptions against the Rams. He had six touchdowns. He was amazing, but he had three interceptions. 2020 at Miami, Patrick Mahomes had three interceptions. Again, 2022 at Denver. Patrick Mahomes had three interceptions. Three interceptions has happened multiple times to Patrick Mahomes in the NFL. Oh, and then even worse, in college, 2015 at Oklahoma, Patrick Mahomes, a game he lost 63 to 27. He had one touchdown and four interceptions. My point is this, bad games happen. Even to the best quarterback ever to walk the planet Earth. Planet of the Earth, the face of the Earth. I don't know where I was going with that. Regardless, Patrick Mahomes, we all agree. I I mean, at least I do. I would certainly say I have never seen a quarterback in my entire life better than Patrick Mahomes. He has bad games from time to time that's what happened. USC's offense had a bad game. Caleb Williams had a bad game. Here's a real question, though, that I think we got to focus on. You can focus on Caleb Williams if you want. Here's the real hard-hitting, honest conversation piece. When is the last time a Lincoln Riley coached football team had a good game on defense? Oh, wait. No, You're going to be, you're going to be waiting a long, I I will be waiting a long time. You are not going to come up with an answer to that. When he was at Oklahoma, it was a problem. Now at USC, it's a problem. Consistently, the defense is garbage on every team coached by Lincoln Riley. An offensive guru, a quarterback guru, absolutely. And USC lost because their quarterback, Caleb Williams, had a bad game. Three interceptions, handed Notre Dame a lot of points. But let's also acknowledge a problem here, like a a flaw in the way USC is built as a program, a philosophical problem. The USC team we see right now is not built to survive a bad game from Caleb Williams. They don't value defense. Here are the four games Caleb Williams has lost in his entire NFL career. Four games, Caleb Williams, he lost three times last year and he's lost one time this year. At USC, he's lost four games ever. In losses, the opponent scored, Utah scored 43 and 47. So uh, the defense is giving up 47 points or 43 points in losses to Utah. Tulane scored 46 in a bowl game. They lost 46 to 45. And Notre Dame here scored 48 points week seven of college football at Notre Dame. For some reason, USC and Lincoln-Riley do not value playing defense i don't know why i don't know why he's not investing in that i don't know why the philosophy appears that are the way we're going to win games is we got to score 50 points every game if we don't score 50 we're going to lose that i don't know why that's their philosophy but that does appear to be the philosophy at usc with lincoln riley and i would call that a problem i would call that a ah, you know what like i love lincoln riley great coach scores a lot of points fun to watch but, you know, we could also maybe play a little bit of defense. Isn't that possible? Maybe build a program that can survive when your quarterback doesn't play like a demigod the one time during the year. Yeah, I think that'd be, that's realistic. To expect your quarterback to be literally like the best quarterback we've ever seen play college football every single week. He can't have one bad game and you you can't survive that. That's a problem to me. So before you point the blame at Caleb Williams, which I think he deserves to blame. He could have played better. He's the reason why they lost. But how about the bigger picture issue, which is the philosophy of USC and Lincoln-Riley. If we don't care about defense and we're not going to invest in our defense and our defense playing well, does not matter to us? I don't know why that is true, but that does appear to be the philosophy. And uh, that's a bigger issue here with USC against Notre Dame. Final topic today. We got to acknowledge Colorado had a horrific, horrific loss on Friday night. Uh, Colorado led Stanford 29 to 0 at halftime. And uh, they lost 46-43 to 43 in double overtime. Colorado's 4-3. and three. Great for them. Um, and I can handle Colorado losing to Oregon or USC. But this one's shameful and embarrassing. It's not good at all. And I got to call it what it is. Colorado just had their worst loss of the year this weekend in college football. 17 penalties, which is awful. You got to clean that up. Um, I, I want to dive in probably on tomorrow's show. I'll dive in. So t- the Tuesday episode, I'll dive into Deion Sanders interview and see what he said after the game. But I think it'd be weird to talk about college football and not acknowledge a team that I love. And has, has been fun to watch this year. You lose badly to Oregon. Fine. You lose by a, a ton to USC and you make a comeback at the end. Fine. You can't lose to Stanford and you really can't lose to Stanford when you lead 20, 29 to nothing at halftime. That's just awful. And so uh, I just feel like it'd be weird to talk about college football and not acknowledge what we saw with Deion Sanders in Colorado on Friday night. It was, uh, I think, the worst loss we've ever seen Deion Sanders have, quite frankly, as a football coach. And uh, it, it, that, that's a loss that simply cannot happen. You're, you're too good. You got too much talent. And you had too big of a lead to lose in uh, double overtime, 46 to 43, to Stanford, right? They're four and three. They're doing better than last year. They should be five and two, and uh, that's a loss that simply cannot happen. And, and part of when you love something and you believe in something, you got to still hold their feet to the fire. And when a, when someone you love and respect isn't doing good enough, you got to call them out on that. And uh, what happened on Friday night with Deion Sanders in Colorado is not good enough. And that cannot happen. Even if you love Deion Sanders, even if I believe in him long term, that loss simply unacceptable for Colorado on Friday night. Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm going to edit this and go to bed. It is very late here in Honolulu. Hope you have a great weekend or a great, uh, what, what hope you have a great Monday. You're hearing this Monday morning, I believe. Happy Monday. Have a great one. And, uh, bam, we are done.